where the Lord Jesus is speaking to his dear disciples, seeking to comfort them because he has told them that he's leaving. And he comes to this verse 9 and he says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man, hath no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father he will testify about me but you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning let's look for a few moments at love I want to look at this just the properties of love for a moment or two and without digressing too far I would like very much to address your attention to the fact that the father will give you whatsoever you ask in my name, as Jesus is recorded as saying it here in verse 16. Now the importance of this is simply this. Praying is asking. Praying is asking. Do you know that there are various levels of commitment? And the Bible continually teaches that there is only one thing for us to be involved in. Now you can come and say, Pastor, we've got to have a discipleship program. Good, you lead it. You can come to me and you can say, Pastor, we've got to maintain the ministry just as it is. Good. You maintain it. You can say, Pastor, we need a program for this and a program for that. That's all very splendid. Get involved. You do it. But there is only one thing that the Bible teaches us that we're to be about. And although we've occluded this and we've tried to exclude it 
from our thinking and from our actions so that we can have in our churches a sort of super spiritual club. The one thing that the Lord Jesus continually is telling us to do is to get out and win souls. Now it's wrong for me to say that that's all there is to do. There's much more to do. But let me share with you very quickly something I heard this last weekend as I was at a fellowship listening to a preacher preach. One of the concepts he produced was this. He said that there are three levels of commitment. There is the level of identification. That is when a person gets converted, he watches the other Christians and he sees what they do. They walk into church and they're very somber and they bow their head and they pray in the pew and then they sit very silently and, and very lovingly. They worship God while the organ plays this, that and the other and they get very involved. So he learns that lesson and he also copies it. Or maybe, as in this church, people dive in, chatter a great deal, sit down and say, just got in time for the first hymn. And he copies that. There is that form of identification. He learns that to be an evangelical Christian, you have to paste a smile on your face, and no matter what's happening to you, you leave it there. Never peel it off, otherwise you won't be successful. And the thing won't be working. This religious experience, this born-again thing, won't be working. So no matter what happens, grin. He also learns to get himself a large Bible. Identification. Of course, one can be sarcastic and go on forever on that theme. But then there comes a time when he conforms. And this is the second level. A second level. He conforms to the rules and the regulations it used to be. You older people especially remember this, that girls didn't wear lipstick. So they conformed, they wiped it off. We conform. We go three times, four times, five times to church on Sunday and we conform to that image, we conform to that spectacle, we conform to those rules. There are things we do. We watch gaudy films on our VCRs, but we don't go to the cinema. We conform. We don't drink. We don't swear. Not that anybody hears us, that is. There are a lot of things we don't do, and we conform. But the third level is called by the same people that wrote those former two levels, total commitment and that includes such involvement that there is enthusiasm about everything that is that is happening and there is that involvement of sharing with others what we have received and until there is that total commitment what we're actually involved in in our church or churches wherever we're from the assembly of believers what we're actually involved in is this a super spiritual club. As we identify, we criticize one another's identity until that identification is down perfect and acceptable to the majority of the critics. We get our conformity into its right little, little box and we gradually rub off the square edges and we break away the burrs and we get people to conform to what we want them to do and how we want them to speak and what sort of behavior we say is right and then we're, we're real happy in our club but don't ask more. I was listening to some men talking one man said, boy, you want to go to such and such a club, and the reason is they've really got a good diet. Do you know, I lost 
45 pounds. The other fellow said, oh, that's not as good as my club. Mohammed, you should go to my club. They've got this super thing here and that super thing there. And I lost 60 pounds. And so they got on talking about their clubs. And you would have thought that it was one-upmanship because everybody seemed to have a better club than the first man that spoke simply by the weight loss that he had achieved. He could have achieved exactly the same had he got in a, a pot of boiling water and just squatted there for an hour or two and kept it boiling. He'd have got the blubber off that way. We talk enthusiastically about things that attract us and captivate our imagination. What do you talk about? If you receive the love of the Lord Jesus, then talk about it. The curious thing is that we seldom are found in a conversation where we are casually speaking about the love of the Lord Jesus. Do we ever discuss the qualities of the Lord Jesus in the same manner that we discuss the qualities of the latest, fastest, most beautiful, slinkiest car that's been produced? For those of us that like to talk about those beautiful, slinky cars. Do you talk about the love of the Lord Jesus with people, anybody? Doesn't have to be a select group of people, but do you just discuss the love of the Lord Jesus with people as you meet them, or do you sort of avoid that these days? Well, let me share with you some of the properties of the love of the Lord Jesus, and let's hope that somehow this coming week we will start getting involved in the thing that may be called, even for us, total commitment. If you'll go into the, into the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark and the 30th verse, you will hear the Lord Jesus Christ saying this, that you must love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. You must learn to love him with every part of you. So important is this that when you go into the Levitical teaching of the Old Testament, you discover that a high priest cannot marry easily, for he must, first of all, be very careful who he chooses to marry. He must not marry a widow because she is not his first love. And he must not love a harlot because he is not all of her love. He doesn't have all of her love. And so there is a real commitment to the high priest. He cannot marry anyone. He has to be very specific in whom he marries. He has to be very careful. And the teaching is this, that we must so, so love the Lord our God with all our heart that this first wife, this first marriage is the marriage and that this marriage is filled with the love of the Lord Jesus and so much of the love of the Lord Jesus that we just love him. It can't be shared with others. There cannot be a spiritual harlotry. Look at the properties of love in the second instance and you will discover that it must be a very sincere love. If you'll turn the pages into Ephesians, you will discover how it is that the apostle is speaking to the church at Ephesus and reminding them that there has to be a great deal of sincerity in love. Unfortunately, we have a lot of insincerity. In fact, it is so dreadful that very often we forget that our love has to be sincere. There's an old saying that he ran his fingers through a hair and let his fingers linger and a cootie bit his finger. And when a fellow does that sort of thing, it's not often sincere love. 
Let me share with you from the 24th verse of the 6th chapter of Ephesians where the, the apostle signs off with his benediction. He says, The grace, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Some people are so sincere, but they're often sincerely wrong. What he's saying here is sincere in the purest sense, without self-interest. Why do you get so caught up? Why do, does a person get so involved proving that they are so right when actually very often they are so wrong? It's usually because self-interest has got in the way. They talk of love. So easily we talk of love. I love you. What do we really mean? The word, if it's sincere, means without any self-interest at all. We need to go into the book of Psalms. We need to discover this, that it must be a love that is a very fervent love. I wonder what we remember of fervent love. Ladies and gentlemen, it means a love that is very powerful. Not a wishy-washy thing, not something that happens today and diminishes tomorrow. Not something that comes and goes. We need to understand it needs to be with passion. In Psalms, the various books of various Psalms, we discover how it is to, with passion, love. Listen to these words from Psalm 120 and in verse 4. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Listen to the expression. This is the attitude of the person who has a false tongue. What a shame. My soul that hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There's great tragedy. And the, and the psalmist is crying out, Deliver my soul, O Lord. Deliver my soul. If you'll turn the pages and discover 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 30, you discover how it is that there needs to be a fervent love. The apostles speaking to that church reminds them that they need to be very much in love. Verse 30 says this, They that weep as though they wept not, they that rejoice as though that rejoice not, they that buy as those as possess not. I don't know what that has to do with this. I must have written that down wrong. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians 13, we discover exactly what love is. Love suffereth long. We must love with an ardor, with an affection. Let me share with you in the fourth instance that this, these properties of love must be active love, like fire. It's a labor of love, says 1 Thessalonians 1.3. It's a, it's a labor of love. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constraineth me. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because of the love of Christ very, very seldom when we get into all the pretenses of love that are so insufficient, very, very seldom can we say the love of Christ constrains me, forces me, leads me, guides me, pressures me, produces from me this cry. In the fifth instance, let me share this, that the properties of love have to be most liberally revealed. 
Now, when I say a liberal love, I don't want people going around saying I'm talking about gay people and that sort of nonsense. No way. But there have to be love tokens. And the tokens of love have to be bestowed. Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. We don't see too much of that, do we? Oh, pastor, says somebody, I love you. I, I've, I've learned over the years, when people start saying that, I start to hunch my shoulders, I start to set myself and ready to receive the next salvo. Not an expression of love. Talking to a pastor the day before yesterday, he said, how is it that when people approach me in my congregation, this is a young man, been in the ministry two and a half years, he said, how is it when people approach me in the congregation with nice words, I immediately start to cringe? I said, well, how long have you been in the ministry? He said, two and a half years. I said, when did you start cringing? After the first half year? What a tragedy and what an indictment it is against all of us. Not just the preacher. We need to be very liberal with our love. We need to be able to share it. Look at this verse 4 of the 13th of 1 Corinthians. Love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It doesn't get involved in these things. One of the problems I suppose that we all possess is the, is the business that I, I just want to prove myself. I want you to listen to my fine remark. I want you to hear my marvelous understanding, my great ex exposition. I want you to know that I've really studied and I've really achieved and that I finished college. I did all the things that people do. I get in the way of me. And so I don't love. I simply express it. I simply speak about it. David absolutely determined when he was faced with all kinds of problems in his life that he was going to love and he loved and the love of David is so amazing and so very beautiful and I recommend that you reread the story of Jonathan and how he loved Jonathan and David was filled with a love a love towards Jonathan and it was a great love it was a love that some people in the day in which we live misunderstand deliberately and speak evil of something very precious. There need to be love tokens and these tokens of love are bestowed upon those that are loving. There needs also to be a decree of love and in Psalm 63 and verse 25 there is nothing on earth that I desire beside thee. Nothing on earth that I desire beside thee. Is that what Jesus means to you when Peter came to that realization? He said, you know, to you who believe, he's precious. And he indicated he's precious to me. And the reason he's precious is because of his love. Let me remind you that it was love that drew salvation's plan. It's true that it was grace that brought it down to man. But it was the enormous love of God that spanned the scope of eternity. Let me remind you. Let me remind me. Let's be reminded of the love that Jesus had. Can you love Jesus without measure? 
Or says the young man, I love you because your dad is the president of a bank. He's marrying for money. I love you because you're very good looking. He's marrying for good looks. Can you love without measuring it? I was often amused when I first met Rini. She had some funny things that she had learned in Canada. Strange things. There was a great strangeness and sort of a curiosity about this redhead that I'd met. We had some people staying in our house and they wouldn't go home. And Rini came in with a tape measure and she started measuring the air. And we all stopped our talking and looked at one another and eventually one of our friends said, What are you doing? She said, well, hold that. And she moved out. And she said, I'm just seeing how long you're going to be. She had some strange expressions. It took a while. I, I was sure everyone was asleep and I was the only one awake. There have been some precious little things that nobody even noticed. Except me and I started giggling. But the love of God must be above all things. It must be without measure needs to be without measure. If it's not without measure, then we're going to be very stingy with our love. This is how we do it. We won't love one another. We will love ourselves. If you've been in that position where you've wanted to prove your point, hmm? you've got to prove your point. And so like a child, you act to prove your point. It's got to be done. That's measuring love. The love is being measured by whether or not you can get your point across. Don't measure it. Oil floats upon the water. Let your love flow upon your experience in life. Abraham loved Isaac. I often think of that terrifying experience where Abraham picked up that knife and looked down on his manacled son who was laying on the altar above the kindling wood and I see that man lifting that knife and I see his lips quivering and I'm quite convinced as I look at the picture that the old gentleman can't even see the child beneath him for the tears that are absolutely flooding his eyes he cannot see but he will be obedient even this far he will destroy his son, not understanding how God will keep the promise that he gave him, but he will kill this boy if that is the command of God. Do you have that sort of love? Do that sort of love for Jesus? Now, if you're not a Christian, you've been sitting here thinking, well, what in the world is he talking about? I wasn't really talking to you in a direct fashion. I was talking to you in an indirect fashion. I was saying something like this in the indirect. I was saying if you can turn your attention towards the Lord Jesus, he's worth loving. But I was really speaking to these Christians that have been sitting here for years whose love has not been very manifest within their own hearts. Oh, not for, it's just shown its ugliness towards one another, but inside, deep down, it hasn't been toward Jesus. Another thing that happens is that very often we, we take things so personally, we get so easily hurt. You know why? Well, our attention is not on Jesus. A child disappoints us, a parent disappoints us, a friend disappoints us, and we've, 
that all that disappointment just wells up and we have to make a strong case so that somehow we can retreat into our own misery. Relations may die on the bosom, but Christ must lie in the heart. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Those of you who have lost little ones, what it is to carry those little ones close and then to find them gone. Those of you that love husbands and wives who have held them delicately and lovingly and then found them gone. That's a a great heartache. And we can't deny it. And we mustn't brush it aside. But Christ must lie in the heart. Oh, says the hymn writer, how I love Jesus. Do we? Oh, says the hymn writer, how I love Jesus. Do we? Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, do we? Are we just at that point where we kind of look like a Christian? We identify with Christianity in the broadest sense of the word, rather like our various politicians arguing whether the church belongs to the state or the state belongs to the church. I don't really think we have to worry about people that are in space coming down and invading this earth. If they're intelligent beings in space, who would want it? I really don't think there's too much bother of seeing the Martians turn up on our doorstep next week. I wouldn't fret too much over that. But people like to identify, don't we? Maybe you're one of those people that really likes to conform. And so when the singing is is boisterous and full, you're enjoying the singing. But there is a love. And it's so divine, it excels all other loves. And it calls for a total commitment. It calls for all of me. And Jesus put it this way. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. And that's total commitment. Young men and women, you're called to love him. You were not called to pretend. Older people, Be done with pretense. Too late. What if it were today? He's coming. Jesus comes. What's your commitment level? Do you identify? Good. Do you conform? Splendid. But is there total commitment? Pray with me. Lord, we're so impoverished, we don't really know what to say with thee. But we find in our spirits a great hunger and thirst after righteousness. We find in our souls a great desire to be like thee, to be with thee, to be close to thee, and to love thee. We speak such wishy-washy words so often about our love for thee, but we ask our Father that we may come away from simply identifying, simply conforming, and come to that place where we can say, 
Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated all to Thee. Our Father, we emotionally said it many times. We quietly ask that Thou would bring us to the place where we may say, Take my life. Lord, we ask that Thou would bring us to that place of consecration, that place of dedication, where we can say, All to Thee, I surrender. I surrender all. So, Father, deal with us quietly now, lovingly, that we may love Thee with all that we are. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.